0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
1: This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility Shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24 7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quitgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
2: They say my mother was one of the greatest to ever ride. Stay wild, mi querida fortuna. And even though she's been gone since I was a baby. No! There are still moments where I can feel her spirit. (laughs) Welcome to Miradero.
3: This horse got a lot of spirit.
2: You do have a lot of spirit. Easy, boy. I just rode a horse.
3: You are lucky you didn't get yourself killed. You stay
2: away from that horse, Dad. It's not his fault. I'm trying to keep you safe. He said, "Let's get out of this town." Just take it slow. Horses can feel what you feel. It's in your heart to run free. It's in mine too. I'm gonna call you Spirit. <laughs> Let's round up that hurt boys. We need to get Spirit back to his family. This is a terrible idea. Sign me up Sign me up even if it's just oh
3: yeah Stay uh-huh. wild <laughs> mi querida fortuna Trust me Spirit Untamed, the latest feature from DreamWorks Animation, is set in a frontier town and follows a feisty young girl named Lucky, voiced by Isabella Merced, who befriends a wild horse named Spirit. Spirit first appeared in DreamWorks Oscar nominated 2002 film Spirit Stallion of the Cimarron, followed by Emmy winning Netflix series Spirit Riding Free. With Spirit Untamed, Elaine Bogan is making her feature directorial debut. At DreamWorks, she previously helmed episodes of Guillermo del Toro's Tales of Arcadia series, as well as Dragon's Race to the Edge. The women on the film also include writers Ori Wallington and Kristen Hahn, as well as producer Karen Foster. The score is composed by Amy Doherty, who came out of the Universal Composers Initiative, which actually was started in collaboration with DreamWorks. Today, we'll be talking about Spirit Untamed, listen to some of the score, and catch up with DreamWorks Animation. Our guests are director Elaine Bogan, composer Amy Doherty, and DreamWorks Animation president Margie Cohn. I'm Carolyn Giardino. Welcome to The Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. So welcome and thanks for joining me.
4: Hi, Ellen.
3: It's so nice to meet you. Well, let's start with Margie. Um, Margie, would you tell us about your diversity and inclusion efforts at the studio and how this factored into the movie?
4: You know, DreamWorks does um, big four quadrant movies, and we're also expanding into movies that have, um, you know, more of a niche audience. And um, what we loved about this movie in particular was that it really targeted um, a girl's love of adventure. And their particular point in their lives where they are coming of age and they're, kind, they're deciding the kind of person that they want to be. And so with this movie, uh, we really feel that um, Lucky's journey and her relationship with spirit is at the core of this crucial time in a, in a young girl's life. And um, this movie was just a really beautiful way to um, bring that to life. And um, tell us a little more about the Genesis
3: and how did Elaine come on?
4: Well, we always say this movie is a virtuous circle of new media, um, because it was a movie that inspired a television show that then inspired a movie. So, you know, completed it's, it's completing it's, it's, it's full cycle. And we were looking for a female director. We thought that the movie should, should be, have a lot of female leadership. And we knew Elaine from her work on dragons race to the edge where, um, You know, it's a combination of adventure, of um, kids, you know, comedy, um, scope. It's one of our most cinematic TV shows. And then we found out Elaine rode horses. So it felt like all signs were just pointing in one direction. And, um, you know, she was on board. Uh, So we we were thrilled and really, really happy to give her, you know, her first movie.
3: And Elaine, uh, you also came out of the DreamWorks story training program, correct?
1: I did. Yeah. I mean, DreamWorks has been a home to me for quite a number of years. And it's been, you know, it, it's been my whole journey in leading up to doing what I'm doing today. Um, the The story training program kind of set me out on this really amazing perspective where I was, I came into the, the industry surrounded by all of these veteran animation heroes that i had had growing up and now i was right in there learning from them every day and just the incredible support around was was meant everything to um knowing and you know just learning along the way that i should never have been placing sort of false limitations on myself as far as how i how far i could go and what i was capable of in the industry um so yeah i think dreamworks is a, a great environment that speaks to that all the time for many people.
4: If I can just jump on that, it was really incredible. Elaine made this movie pretty fast for a movie and we were in a pandemic and watching her leadership skills just blossom and um, how mature and assured her decisions were was, was just a pleasure to to be witnessed
1: yeah thank you Margie I feel like well you know I owe a lot of that to the idea that when we first started out on the project you guys allowed us to really cherry pick who we thought were the strongest leaders for the entire crew in every department and and again it was that support from the people that we knew and trusted every day that were allowing me to to step up and make those crazy decisions on the fly and
3: you know do you want to give a shout out to some of those people? Yeah. I
1: mean, my produ- my fearless producer, Karen Foster, was always, she was there every single day making the tough calls and delivering the tough news of schedule and budget and whatnot. And, uh, you know, Shabrea Cleaver stepped up to, into for her first role as production manager and Amy leading the music department. There was Paul Duncan, our production designer, uh, Sean Sexton, who is, renowned for his mentorship in the, in the animation community and brings up all these students into to, to their first feature roles. A couple of those students had their first feature experience on our movie. But it was, you know, it was amazing to watch everybody jump in and just, even though the challenges we were up against, especially after being sent home, staying so motivated and dedicated to, to making
3: the best film that we could Now, when you came on board, how, how much of the script was, was written and when did you actually go into production? When I first came on, there was a, there was a, an initial draft of the script. I can't,
1: it it was a full draft. uh, And I came on at the same time as Karen Foster and we, you know, we, we worked with the scenes and with the draft and got it to a place we were all comfortable with. Probably, we probably spent a month or two with that margin, I think, um, and then just dove right into storyboarding. It was
4: all so quick <laughs> and um, running as fast as we could. So,
1: yeah, I mean, there I, was... I should have
4: brought a list of dates, but I
1: actually don't
4: remember. <laughs> there was I mean, there was definitely
1: a lot of overlapping, too. We weren't finished fully completing the script until we had already started animating some of the scenes. So it was very much a um, building it while we were flying it sort of situation. But I think, you know, that's what kept us all on our toes, especially being sent home and having to work together, but separately, Uh, it just, it evoked this awesome sense of motivation and community, even though we weren't all collaborating in person together.
3: As far as the story goes, um, would you talk about the themes and, um, and what you hope viewers, especially young girls, take away from the movie?
1: We had a lot of goals uh,
3: in that respect
1: when we first started out. And um, like we were, you know, Margie mentioned that the sense of empowering the young female audience and the camaraderie and sisterhood of supporting each other to achieve impossible things. There's there's a lot in our story that speaks to that. Um, and we, you know, we wanted to really create um, a world and a cast of characters that felt like it represented the reality we live in today and by that I mean you know characters coming from all sorts of different and unique perspectives cultural backgrounds and and opinions um so and by reflecting that kind of thing on screen it hopefully reaches the young audience anyone in the young audience to believe that you know if they're seeing pieces of themselves up there on that screen it might help empower them to believe that they can achieve these things too. And um, in the same way, we also tried to reflect that same idea behind the camera by building a crew of people that came from all these different perspectives. You know, we had a lot of female leadership on the crew. And I I really feel like that helped us tell a more authentic feeling story to the young female audience.
4: We were also making this during the pandemic. So at some point, The idea that we were delivering a movie that was going to be so visually beautiful, a little bit escapist in the sense that um, it was before cell phones. It was before this age of anxiety that kids are living in today and that, you know, um, the fierce will of a plucky 12 year old girl following her best instincts and doing the right thing could save the day. You know, that became something that kind of also became important for us to deliver. And I just want to add, with with Amy's score, you know, the other thing we wanted to do is supply an emotional experience. And, you know, the score and the music just made everything bigger and more cinematic and more emotional. And so we felt, you know, in this, in this world where Adventure for Girls is, can still be a little bit of a white space, that we were... You know, making a movie that really delivered that in in buckets.
3: Well, why don't we talk about the score? Um, tell us about the uh, the Universal Composers Initiative, and uh, and Amy, how you came on board?
0: Yeah, so I started the, um, or I was, I guess, chosen as a participant for that maybe two and a half years ago at this stage, and uh, there were eight of us chosen, and it was, you know, it's the first of its. Kind. Um, Universal has other programs for directors and writers, um, but but no studio has ever done one for composers. So they were kind of, we were kind of the guinea pigs and all figuring it out together. But the first kind of assignment they had was in collaboration with DreamWorks. They had these two short DreamWorks films that had come out of a similar program over there um, that we basically got to pitch for. Um, so we were allowed to you know, test drive a score and hope, hope for the gig. And I uh, was so fortunate to get one of the short films. And we went to Abbey Road and recorded the score. And it was just this incredible experience. But I met, um, you know, lots of people at DreamWorks and got to kind of get a feel for like what it's like over there and hang out on the campus, which is the coolest place on earth. Um,
3: (laughs) And and that short was marooned, correct?
0: Was marooned. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that was directed by Andy Erickson um, who is a storyboard artist at, uh, at DreamWorks and a friend of Elaine's I believe. Um, And he, yeah, he's great. And it was produced by Jeff Herman who also just produced um, Boss Baby 2. So it was just, it was such a, a wonderful experience. And on the kind of like a, you know, a short film, it was 10 minutes. Um, so after that had finished, um, I guess I kind of worked with uh, the Universal film music team and Mike Noblock, who's the president of music at uh, Universal, he recommended me to this team um, to just meet. And they sent me over the script and I read it and I just, I loved it, it like exactly what Elaine was just saying about you know that sense of empowerment in the script i love that i got to the end and realized oh like no one mentioned beauty or you know like how these girls look or and and how that would affect their life it had nothing to do with that it was this just amazing adventure story they were all friends no one was pitted against each other and it was just all about like support and the friendship that you know i think we all have as young girls we do all have those friends hopefully that kind of build you up um, and I, I just loved it I, I love uh, big adventure movies and this was definitely the kind of movie I would have adored as a child so um, and as an adult <laughs> so I yeah I was so I, I and then you know I had all these ideas for the score and I wrote them down um, just as I was reading the script and then I met with Elaine and Ennio and Karen and uh, Elaine mentioned that, that, you know, she had this idea that she was a huge fan of the fleet foxes. And it was the weirdest thing because I literally at the top of my notebook had written down fleet foxes as a purely like, oh, you know, I love the idea of it being this kind of contemporary uh, folksy Americana sound but more you know that kind of modern sound and I like turned the notebook around and was like I, I swear I didn't just write this down so it was just really it was a really cool coincidence because it just felt like we were on the same page from day one from the very first meeting um, and then once I met everyone and like they're so passionate and it was such an inspiring experience like everyone just loved these characters so much and oh it was so fun it was so fun
3: Well, we're going to listen to some of your music. Um, I think the first cue we're going to play is meeting Spirit. Would you like to introduce that cue and tell us a little about it?
0: Yeah, so this cue um, is kind of the first, well, obviously it's where we meet Spirit. Uh, Lucky is on the train heading out to Miradero. And uh, Elaine just wanted this, and jump in, Elaine, this cue to be kind of, I remember you describing it as that feeling when you're, you're taking off on a road trip and you're heading up the coast and you just want that like freedom road trip feeling um like just super excitement so yeah I'd written it and it you know it has a lot of pace and energy and then uh we have some male vocals on there um which we hear every time we, we have spirit and he uh, they're used in spirits theme and we had Robin Pecknell from the Fleet Foxes actually come on and record the vocals which was insane. What a dream. <laughs> I still oh can't God, believe it. it. So we can we actually we were in uh the works with Mike Novak and Angela lewis at uh Universal. We're trying to get Robin to come on and sing the vocals for about two and a half months we had this email chain going and we didn't want to tell Elaine because we didn't want to get her hopes up until he said yes but then we sent him over a bunch of cues and he listened and he really liked them and was super excited to come on and record the vocals so
1: I'm pretty sure you were just trying to avoid me emailing you every two hours did you get them yet did you get them yet
0: (laughs) (laughs) but yeah it was so exciting um okay well let's listen
3: Next one i think we're going to talk about is spirits heard would you like to tell us about that one
0: yeah um this cue the cue is like the very first uh visual that i saw for the film was this scene where lucky goes into the forest like runs away in the middle of the night and there's these fireflies and i just was absolutely bowled over at how stunning it was the colors and Oh my God, it was so beautiful. And again, you'll hear Spirits theme here. So there's some uh, vocals in there, which are Robin. Um, And yeah, it's just that big orchestral. I guess we wanted it to be that big warm. She's gone out into the unknown basically. And now she has Spirits. She has that kind of sense of um, comfort.
3: Would you like to also talk about the climatic uh, rescue mission?
0: Oh, yeah, that one was super fun. Um, I guess one fun thing that we did on that one was uh, we had this train sound uh, when there's a hard cut to the train coming towards us. And I don't want to give spoilers away, but, you know. Right. <laughs> um, and so I timed the music to the train sounds so that it was all kind of working in sync together. Um, and yeah, that one was quite a... Again, big adventure feel, high energy. We recorded a lot of guitars. There's a lot of acoustic guitar stuff. And then um, a couple of times you'll hear Milagro's theme kind of woven throughout uh, the, the piece as well.
3: And this was also recorded during the pandemic. So would you tell us how that worked out? Oh, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, yeah, we recorded. Well, I guess when we had first, you know, talked way back when we knew that um it would be based in orchestral score. I mean, God knows, we were like, how are we going to record this? And honestly, there was a point where I thought this just is not going to happen because I came on the film last May, May 2020. And we were talking about recording in january february and then as things got worse and worse i was just like this is i don't know how we're going to do this some people you know on another film i'd done i'd recorded one uh musician at a time at their home and then pieced it all together and i thought how are we going to do this for a huge orchestral score karen foster pulled it together (laughs) and margie and i don't know how they did it and mike and everyone um at universal and they we had nine full days at Abbey Road, which is unheard of. Um, we had to split up the orchestra just to, due to COVID restrictions. So we did four days of strings, two days of brass, two days of woodwinds, and then a day of percussion. And then I recorded some uh, soloists here, like the, the Spanish guitar stuff and the acoustic guitar and the vocals. Um, but it was, it was really fun during the recordings because we were here in LA, you know, from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. every day. Um, listening into the orchestra. I was speaking directly into their head pieces. It was, it was, technology is amazing. It was crazy. And Delaine and Ennio and Karen and Margie and everyone was listening in on their own systems at home and texting me and sending pictures. Um, and it, yeah, it was, it was super exciting. And people kept saying to me like, oh, it's such a pity. You can't, you know, you guys can't all go over there for the session. And honestly, I don't feel one ounce of sadness that we couldn't go. The fact that we did it at all is insane in this COVID era you know we recorded like a some like an 80 piece orchestra for this film and got you know it was mixed and it sounded incredible and the guys at Abbey Road their whole team just pulled off the impossible and 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 like Elaine said about when you guys moved to working from home it had that sense of camaraderie where everyone was just excited to be back at work for one and it was awesome to like have work for all of these people also I think everyone was just really jazzed to be to be part of it.
1: I was also just stoked to have been getting my own very Live private concert streaming from Abbey Road soundstage into my living room, <laughs> drinking my coffee on the couch. It was yeah, you had like, it on a
0: big projector, right? I like, know, you had, like a cinema screen of Abbey Road. <laughs> we
1: put out the sound system, put the projector up. Felt like I was right there.
0: <laughs> yeah, it was really, really awesome.
3: You also have the original song "Fearless," which um, really underscores the theme of the movie too. Would you tell us about the song?
0: Yeah, uh, Elaine, do you want to talk about the?
1: Well, I'll just be bragging about you, Amy, but here (laughs) I go. Uh, I, I remember it was, so this song, Fearless, was, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Amy, the very first conversation we had. Uh, when you first came onto the film, we sat down because we knew we needed something big and important. Uh, And it was, it was no small task. So we knew, you know, we knew we needed this song that would do a lot of things for us in the film. And the first thing it had to do was open the movie and introduce Milagro, Lucky's mother, as a big, important character in the movie, though we never see her other than the first minute of the film physically. And we knew we needed the audience to recall the memory of her and be reminded of her at various points throughout the rest of the movie. So not only did we need this consistent, really um, immediately memorable sound for the audience to cue into throughout the movie, but we also needed this particular song to come back in many different forms and in different emotions to do different things. Uh, So for, (laughs) you know... It's not that we felt bad asking Amy because she went away and nailed it. So (laughs) uh, the song ends up coming back, you know, it, it begins as this sort of lullaby type thematic introduction to who Milagro was in Lucky's life. And then throughout the story, it comes back when Lucky's sad and remembering bits of her mother and, you know, just little cues of things that she finds around the house and then at another point, it comes back when Lucky has to channel her mother's strength and make it across this big, giant obstacle. And then again, it comes back as a big celebratory moment where the whole family reunites and comes together. Um, so launching a composer off on something like that for their very first assignment on the film, uh, it was big. And I, I'm not even kidding. Amy went away for probably two weeks came back and played us something she had, you know, the lyrics are temporary, they can always be changed, but here's what I was thinking. And we all sat down and listened to it and we all practically burst out into tears because it was exactly what we wanted. And,
0: uh, <laughs> but that was a testament to you. I mean, we had gotten on the phone to talk about what it should be. And I just kept asking all of these questions about what the emotion should be. And, you know, to Elaine's credit to, and Karen and Ennio, you guys were so clear about what it was about it was about this fierce woman who wants to like pass along her sense of adventure and fearlessness and I'm sure the word fearless came up many times you know and I'm just writing down these words like brainstorming as we're going and um honestly I went away we I think we talked for about an hour just about Milagro how she was feeling and how and and I wasn't even about how it would come back so much at that stage, Elaine. I think it was we were just trying to nail what would Milagro say to her daughter, her baby daughter, like what what is it that she wants to leave her with and she wants her to grow up and be, you know, strong and brave. Um, so and I was so inspired when I got off the phone you know I literally sat down and like I had the idea pretty quickly in like an hour or two but it was like a 30 second version of it or something so played around with it and then honestly I thought myself and I had said to them I'm not a lyricist and I don't I don't really write songs so we'll, you know they'll they'll hire a lyricist and we'll figure it out together, but I'll just work on the melody because I would like to incorporate it in the score as we go. Like every time, like Elaine said, we want to feel Malagros' presence. So, you know, I, I love the idea of using the music to help do that. And uh, and yeah, I just wrote the lyrics and very cringily recorded myself singing it. And I sound like, <laughs> honestly, some form of chipmunk Mary no, Poppins. No, it's beautiful. And, <laughs> I sent it to them thinking, oh, it's only the few of them here. And I'll tell them it's just a temporary thing. And you guys sent it around to everyone. I know Margie got it. I was mortified.
4: Are you kidding? <laughs> we, were, we were so, I was so excited because, you know, it, this this song had to carry a lot of weight throughout the movie and it, it you just nailed it. Aww. And it was evocative and emotional. I think I cried when I heard it later. <laughs> How many times do we talk about crying in in this movie <laughs> when we when we when we uh, screen things? Um, but really, you it, it was perfect.
2: Oh. Not he
3: Let's talk about voice casting a little bit. Um, Tell us about finding Lucky and her friends.
1: Well, you know, there was a a big theme of us just wanting to be really honest and authentic about everything in the movie and, and particularly in the people that we cast to play these characters. And with every character, especially Lucky and Prue and Abigail, we set out looking for three young women that already embodied the same ideas we wanted these characters to embody up on the screen. And, you know, as an example, Isabella Merced, in real life, she's an extremely passionate, creative, talented, and very driven person. But not only that, she's, she's especially very connected and close with her family and to her culture. And these are all the same things that we needed Lucky to present on screen. And then there's Marseille Martin, who played Prue in real life. She's this incredibly intelligent entrepreneur that we'll all be working for someday. And she's got goals. She knows what she wants and she doesn't let a whole lot change her mind unless it's from her. And this is what we needed Prue as for Prue as sort of like a um, to balance and play off of the, the drive of Lucky. And then there's McKenna Grace, who plays Abigail, who in real life, when we first met her, we just, we wanted, we all wanted to take her home with us because she just exudes the spirit of being in the moment. And she's just a ball of energy and love and excitement. And I have to say that when we mentioned that Abigail might be playing the ukulele in the film, she literally jumped out of her chair and screamed, I brought my ukulele, it's in the trunk of the car, let me go get it so I can play you all a song. And she was so, (laughs) she just already was the character that we needed up on that screen. And it felt so fortuitous that all of this stuff worked out. So that, you know, we started there and that's how we kind of approached everyone that we brought onto the cast.
3: And we should talk about the animation as well. Now, the uh, the 2002 Spirit movie actually wasn't computer animated. Uh, the series is CG, um, but you mentioned earlier to me that you did quite a bit of work to make this film more cinematic, in your own words. Um, would you talk about the approach to the look?
1: Sure. I mean, our so Spirit Untamed is very much inspired by and based on the TV series Spirit Riding Free. And I feel like a lot of our... Our excitement and also a lot of our challenge was creating creating a project that would come off of the success and come off of the heels of that TV series and both uh, pay homage and serve the existing fans of the TV series, but also become something new that they could still love and that would also bring in a new audience. So that you know, it was it's you know, I'm not only trying to direct my first feature, but I have all these. Uh, new elements coming at me for the very first time and it was it was a fascinating learning experience um, so how we sort of approached it is that because we knew we needed to take this similar setting this world that was already created for us which was a blessing by the way because we felt we were already started out with a lot of the blueprint and if we didn't have that I don't think two years would have been long enough to develop a <laughs> Um, a sustainable feature film but so we took all of that really great stuff that the show had provided us and knew that we wanted something to be able to hit a big 50-foot theater screen and pull audience members into the environment so it felt like they were running alongside of these characters going through all the the crazy adventures with them Uh, so we started with uh, designing the environments and and settling on sort of an atmosphere and a tone for the look of the world and trying to create something big and cinematic enough that would, that would achieve that. Um, and once we settled with, uh, sort of a, it's a little bit of a more graphic style for the natural world, then we needed to take the characters and their designs and sort of revamp them so that they could fit and in a believable way, feel like they belonged in that space. So that's kind of how we approached it.
3: And do you want to talk about um, specifically the development of Spirit and how he moves?
1: Yeah. Uh, so Spirit's design, we we really, actually, we had a lot of fun going back and paying homage to a lot of the original James Baxter designs from the, the first film, because we all really loved them and wanted to, in some way, reflect that in this new world. So. Uh, I remember sitting for hours and hours with our, our lead modeler Brian Jeffcoat and our head of animation Sean Sexton to see how we could possibly take such an, a perfect 2D design, and you know, be inspired by, it in whatever way we could, into translating that for a CG model that would also fit in this new world we've built. Um, and, you know, they're the best of the best, and somehow they've done it. So that, you know, we wanted to reflect to little pieces of every part of the franchise in this new movie.
3: And you did some research actually where you go riding, isn't that right? Yes. Uh, I don't know <laughs> that whether. It must have been a nice day. <laughs> To this
1: day, I'm not sure whether or not Enyo and Sean loved it, but I dragged them over to the equestrian center and I put them up on a horse and dragged them up the hills of Griffith Park in the middle of Los Angeles. Uh, And, you know, I was mainly at the front holding my iPhone shooting video backwards because I didn't want to miss any of it, but I had to look where I was going. (laughs) Um, So a lot of it was about, you know, because it's for me, it's impossible to in words describe to someone the emotions and, the, and what it actually feels like to communicate and interact with one of these sometimes impressively intimidating animals, other than just having them do it. So, you know, after I, I tortured my poor dear friends, uh, we took a lot of the story artists and some of the art team to the LA Equestrian Center where they could in, you know, approach and interact with some of these animals. Because I, it was really important to us that we created a world that felt authentic and believable, particularly to a lot of the audience who are horse people as well, and will be able to tell whether or not this was, you know, it felt real.
4: I will say that... To the uninitiated, it felt very real. Plus, um, you know, there had to be a relationship established between a horse and a girl, but the horse was not anthropomorphic. So they never pushed you past believability. You, uh, you understood that they were soulmates and that they really could communicate and understand each other. But Spirit everything he did, he just seemed like a real animal, like a real horse. And, and so did the rest of the herd. And it, it, it really was surprising and spectacular.
0: Yeah, to, to the point where my, uh, when I would have it on my screen here, when I was working on it and the horses were on the screen above, my dog would get up and bark at them all the time. But <laughs> <laughs> he would hear them whinnying and see them running, he would like lose it. So. Oh, that's great. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us and congratulations on the film.
1: Thank you for having us. Thank you so much, Carolyn.
2: feel
4: With the Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.